Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Co-Sleeping. I'm Amanda. And I'm Adriana. And today we're here to talk about a big topic, the second C of our name, co-sleeping. Amanda, let's just get right into it. Yes, such a huge episode. One of the biggest missions of Coffee and Co-Sleeping is to really open up the dialogue regarding co-sleeping and really just sleep in general. Every time parents share information and resources and their own experiences, it helps parents who have made the decision to safely co-sleep feel less isolated and alone in their decisions. We're passionate about normalizing co-sleeping so that the next time you mention where your child sleeps, it's not this big like, wait, what? And, you know, if you're met with that kickback a little bit, you'll at least have a witty comic to come back with. I know we both firsthand know how important it can be in those early months to feel supported when it comes to our decisions. So I'm really excited to dive in and talk about this today. The first thing to start with definitely is the difference between co-sleeping and bed sharing. So many people, I know ourselves included, didn't actually realize that there was a difference. So I just wanted to touch on it quickly that bed sharing is when your child sleeps in the same bed as you, the same sleep surface, whereas co-sleeping is when they sleep in the same room as you. So they can be in their crib, in a bassinet, in a pack and play, but in the same room that you are in. This was definitely something that I had confusion about right after I had my son. Amanda, you were sharing content on, at the time, your Instagram platform. And I was like, wait a minute. I thought bed sharing was co-sleeping. And you were like, it's a form of co-sleeping. It's not the only form of co-sleeping though. And now we actually get a lot of questions about the differences. So it's just good to note that bed sharing is co-sleeping, but it's just one of the many ways in which you can co-sleep. Kind of like a rectangle is a square, but a square is not a rectangle kind of thing. (laughs) I think that's right, going back to geometry. You can't do a sleep episode, bed sharing, co-sleeping without talking about the safety procedures that should be taking. I know the standard when it comes to bed sharing is the Safe Sleep 7 by La Leche League. And I know we want to just put a little bit of a disclaimer out there that we are not sleep experts. This is the information that we had found when we were new moms and we decided to start bed sharing. Or in my case, when my daughter decided for us that this is what we were going to be doing, where did I turn to find this information? You know, you want to make sure you're doing this safe, but how do we do that? So the Safe Sleep 7 was invented by La Leche League for moms and dads to be able to sleep with their children safely. So the first one is no smoking mom or parents and sober parents is the second one. So I think these kind of go hand in hand. I don't want to say they're self-explanatory because a lot of people don't realize the importance of secondhand smoke or the correlation of smoke with SIDS. So I think it's important to have that out there. Sober parents, of course, if parents are intoxicated or under the influence of drugs, they're more likely to roll over on their child get into a deep sleep, forget that the child is there and things of that nature. Third one is breastfeeding mother day and night. And this is the one, there's just a lot of confusion about this, why it's important, because a lot of people feel as if it's shaming moms who can't breastfeed or choose not to breastfeed. And the reason that this is so important is because the position that a breastfeeding mother sleeps in, I know it's how I slept for gosh, close to two years. I know it's how you're still currently sleeping. And it's called the cuddle curl. So mom makes her body into like a C shape with her arm kind of underneath we're not going to stray far from the kitchen. So baby keeps their head close to mom's breast rather than kind of wandering down by where there may be blankets or towards the end of the bed. And breastfeeding also lowers Sid's risk. So that's why that's important. Personally, I feel as if after my daughter was born, I became like a lighter sleeper. And I've also heard people say the same, that they wake a lot quicker. I know sometimes when my daughter will latch, I can wake up and feel that as well. 
That's been my experience as well. It still is. The next one is healthy baby full term. This is another one that I would always speak with your pediatrician. You know, what constitutes a healthy baby? What constitutes full term? We've heard 37 weeks. We've heard 40. I really make this decision with your pediatrician, which brings us to another point that I know we're going to discuss later in the episode. How do you bring it up to your doctor? Hey, is my baby healthy enough to bed share when most parents choose not to tell their pediatrician that they bed share. The next one is baby on back. And I think this is important because whether your baby sleeps in a crib, in a pack and play in your bed, they should always be placed on their back. That does not change. One thing to mention when it comes to this too, is that my son, for example, once he was more mobile, able to roll, was crawling, he preferred to sleep on his belly with his face to the side. Mm -hmm. So once they're able to do that, as long as you have a firm, safe sleep service, which we will be talking about in just a moment, it is okay for them to sleep that way generally. Uh, It's just a matter of whether or not your child can comfortably get into that position and out of that position on their own. Mm Kennedy is the same way, still sleeps on her belly, but I would always, no matter how old she was, place her on her back. And a lot of the time she would kind of fall asleep up on her side a bit from nursing. And I would just kind of roll out. And most of the time she would fall back onto her back. But if not, I would just gently roll her back a little bit. And the next one is no sweat, no swaddle. This is really important. I've said that now for everyone, but this is all very important stuff, guys. We just don't want baby to overheat when they're sleeping that close to you, especially if you're breastfeeding. We know that they're on top of you and so close to you most of the night. Our bodies radiate heat, so we don't want baby to overheat. And the last one, one that I think probably speak the most on is safe sleep surface. So what does that look like? If you and baby are sleeping on the same surface, how do we ensure that it is safe enough for baby to be on there? One of the things that encapsulates a sleep surface that is safe would be the firmness of the mattress. This Mm -hmm. is really important because of things like rebreathing or a baby getting into that belly position and their face sinking into the mattress. So a firm sleep service is always best. It's what's recommended for bed sharing, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And another is no blankets, no pillows, nothing of that nature, stuffed animals on the bed for baby. And the other thing too, looking at the mattress, that it should be a mattress. It shouldn't be a futon, a couch, an air mattress, anything that can kind of sink in water beds. I don't know if people still have those, but <laughs> if you're out there and you have a water bed and you want a bed share, get rid of it. Um, <laughs> the other thing too, is if you've had your mattress for like a while, or if it's an older mattress and there's indents, like those valleys where you've been sleeping, baby could roll into those. And that's of course not safe. So you want the firmest mattress, just like a crib, you know, when you're looking for a crib mattress, some of the norms can change slightly as your baby gets older. For example, when my son started to crawl, I felt more comfortable, even though our mattress is very low to the ground, having bed rails. And just to ensure safety, I would stuff the bed rails in between the bed and the bed rail because there is that little bit of a gap. So as long as that's stuffed to completely eliminate that gap, that's the best way to have bed rails. I know there's a little bit of controversy around them, Mm -hmm. but if it's something that you feel safe and comfortable with and you know your baby well enough to know how they sleep, that's the option and the road that I took with him once he was crawling and I felt very safe about it. It did make me feel better to have them. And I think that's such a great point too, because we say all the time that families have to do what's best for them. And this is no different. This of course is the guideline. This is a recommendation. This is for optimal safe sleep. This is what we should be following. But of course, like you said, using the rails made you feel more comfortable. Why wouldn't you do that? It made you feel safer. And that's important because I know a lot of parents, when they make the decision to bed share, and I know we went through it as well, there is a little bit of like, is this okay? Am I doing this the safest? But I also felt 
like when my daughter was in the bassinet that we use next to the bed for the first six months, that didn't feel safe to me. I didn't know. I felt like I had to get out of bed. I had to bring her in the other room and nurse her. I was falling asleep on these unsafe sleep surfaces. And that's when, you know, it was like, well, something has to change here. I think the important thing with the sleep surface is to make sure that your mattress is on the floor. A floor bed is the best. I mean, not aesthetically, it doesn't look the best, but it's not forever. I'll never forget when my sister um, bed shared with both of her girls and I went over there and I remember thinking to myself, like, this is wild. I'm never going to put my mattress on the floor. I'm somebody who takes way too much care of like the way that my home looks and the aesthetic. And I'm like, I have this nice bed set and it didn't take long until that bed set is still in the spare room, not being used. And Mm -hmm. now we have to get rid of it because it's a queen. And we, of course, had to upgrade to a king. So having the mattress on the floor is very important. Also, I mean, I got down on the floor, like hands and knees looking around like, okay, if I'm an infant, and you know, mom and dad are downstairs, what can I get into if I wake up? And of course, we have the baby monitor, a lot of people recommend like a video one so you can watch them as well. I would make sure like things that you don't even think about, like the cords for any of your chargers on the sound machine, like we taped a lot of those to the back of our dresser. And then we made sure that the dresser was bolted to the wall as well. The safety of the room, that's a really good point, is super important for, you know, that little bit of time. Maybe you leave baby on the mattress after they fall asleep so that you can go catch an episode of something in the living room. And if you're going to do that, having a video monitor and just knowing and having peace of mind that the room is as safe as possible is not only best, but recommended. I wanted to ask you as someone with a partner, what that looked like in terms of the conversations that you and your husband had when you were making the decision to bed share, because I know that both parents have to be on board and that obviously ensures optimal safety for baby. There was never like this conversation before. We say it all the time. There's so many conversations that we have with our partners before. We stress so much about the nursery and the theme and the name and these things that don't matter. But I don't think my husband and I ever sat down and was like, hey, if I'm struggling mentally, do you know what to do? Or, you know, where's our baby going to sleep? What what are we going to do? You know, what happens if she doesn't like the crib or I'm not getting good sleep? That conversation really never happened before. We kind of fell naturally into it. We knew that we would have her in our room for the first year. That was everything that I had seen, heard. That was what quote unquote was best. I'm doing air quotes. That's what you hear. So we had the bassinet in the room and then we were going to transition to the pack and play. Shortly before turning six months, she outgrew the bassinet. It wasn't working. Most nights she was ending up in bed with us. We moved the pack and play in the room. And after she would fall asleep in bed, I would get out and I would pick her up and I'd put her in the pack and play. And it would be this whole two hour thing up and down. She would be, I would wait the 20 minutes. I'd lift her arm. It would drop down. I'd walk over to the pack and play as soon as she barely, barely touched the bottom of it eyes wide open. And I was doing this every night. My husband's like, why are you doing this? Like you're literally driving yourself insane. You're not getting any time to yourself. You know, she wouldn't let him go in. She only wanted me and she only wanted to nurse and be close to me. And it was then that he was like, yeah, we're not doing this. Put the mattress on the floor. And he was like, cause if you just rolled away and she's just still there in bed, why are you picking her up and moving her? I was like, oh, it's a very good point. I don't know, because that's what society tells me I should do. She's not supposed to be in bed. She's supposed to be in her own spot. Mm -hmm. We threw that mattress on the floor and I um, texted my sister a picture and I said, I I joined the club. She said, welcome. Your uh, membership lasts about 10 years. So good luck. (laughs) 
bed sharing is also, if you go that route in terms of co-sleeping, it's not an all or nothing thing either. You can Mm -hmm. bed share for part of the night. I know families who their child might sleep in the crib for the first three hour stint and then they're up at midnight and they come into bed with mom and dad. I actually had a very close friend who did that up until her daughter was three. That's what worked for them. Mm -hmm. So there are no hard, fast rules after you discuss and talk about safety, make sure that's all taken care of. In terms of norms or practicality, every family and every baby's different. They're humans. They have mm-hmm. their own preferences, even from an extremely young age. So it takes a little bit of time to kind of figure out, like Amanda said, you know, they were trying to pack and play. It just didn't work. It takes a little bit to kind of find your rhythm with your baby and what works for your family to preserve both your well-being and baby's well-being. So there's no, there's no real set of rules in terms of norms. And there's, yeah, there's no right answer here. And I'm so glad you brought that up because we're still doing that. We still partly bed chair. You know, my daughter showed interest in wanting to have her own room. So we got, you know, a big girl bed and cheaped out everything in her room and the bedding and was so excited about it. And we start every night in there. She falls asleep. I, you know, ninja roll away. And now that we're not daytime napping, she's asleep fairly early, you know, 7 30, 8 o'clock. That leaves me, you know, a few hours at the end of the night. But she typically wakes up so usually probably around 1 a.m. And I'm already in my bed sleeping. And I tried so many times to tell her like, hey, when you wake up, just, you know, come into mom and daddy's room. Like it's right next door. The light's on in the hallway. And she does. And she sits up, yells for me. And I go in and every night I just fall back asleep in there because that was why I started bed sharing the ease of that. Let's be honest. I don't want to get up and down five or six times a night, you know, drag right. myself down the hallway, half asleep, go back, stare at my phone. Like, I don't want to do that. So when she wakes up in the middle of the night, I just kind of move myself into her room and I end up just falling asleep and I wake up in there every single morning. (laughs) Yeah. And that's working for you Mm -hmm. and Kennedy right now. Most nights, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) For myself, very similarly to what Amanda said, outside of knowing that I wanted to have my son in my room for the first year of his life, I just assumed that that would be in a crib. So I had the crib set up right next to my queen-sized bed. I just thought that there was an age at which babies started sleeping through the night. I had no idea what infant sleep looked like or what norms were biologically for infant sleep. So becoming educated on that was a game changer for me. Mm -hmm. But really, for the first time ever, my instincts became crystal clear once I gave birth to my son. And bed sharing was something that we did from day one. I know it's not recommended until about four months of age, but my story is that we bed shared from the very beginning. I did reach out to Amanda right after I got home from the hospital to make sure that I was doing this safely. I had an emergency C-section, had a bit of an extended stay in the hospital with my son, but was able to breastfeed. And as soon as we got home, I wanted to ensure that we were doing this in a safe manner because it became very evident to me that he had no interest in his crib, which I couldn't even really use because I had just had an emergency C-section and my body felt like a truck had hit it. Not only that, but I bought a bassinet, had it next to the bed, thinking that having something that was more mobile and closer to me would be easier, but he wanted no part of that. I actually felt safest, most comfortable, most confident, most in tune, and just emotionally most at ease with Aiden in bed with me. That's always been the case. That's still the case. Some of my most favorite moments with him are bed sharing moments, if I'm being completely honest. And that's just his story and my story. I know that's not the case for every family. I know not everyone feels that way about bed sharing, but it's really just worked for us. So I would really suggest that you look into whatever decision it is you're making. And after you have 
confidently decided on what it is that you're going to do, which might not be until well after baby gets here. I mean, Amanda and I both just mentioned that these weren't decisions that we made or even understood much about until our kids got here. And that can happen with a lot of things in regards to parenting. We think one thing, we think we know what we're going to do or how our babies are going to act. Then baby comes along and things are completely different and they're learning and you're learning at the same time. That's such a great point because we're all perfect parents before we have kids. And then we're like, oh, wow, curveball. This isn't going to work or what we think we wanted, we no longer want. These decisions don't have to be made, you know, when you're six months pregnant. It can be something you think of, but I do recommend that it is something that you should research. Have the information beforehand because when it's 3 a.m. in the middle of the night and you're falling asleep in the rocking chair, if you already had a safe sleep space set up for you and baby to sleep together, it takes that stress out of it that you can just move into your bed and know that, hey, this is what we're doing, whether it's tonight, forever, however long you decide. There's a quote by James McKenna that I love that he says that one family's bad habits is another family's treasured time together. And I love that because so many times I've been told that bed sharing is a bad habit. You know, she's never going to sleep on her own. She's never going to be able to put herself to sleep or Mike's never going to be able to sleep with her. I know I've got some great comebacks for those, but some of my greatest, most treasured times together are when me and my daughter and my husband are laying in bed together. You know, when they both fall asleep, Sometimes I won't sneak out of bed and I'll just lay there scrolling my phone and look over and just watch them because I say all the time that my daughter's, you know, she's growing, she's three and a half, that she doesn't resemble that baby that we brought home from the hospital anymore. She's like a walking, talking, yelling toddler, but when she's sleeping, she looks exactly the same as she did as a baby. So I just want to hold on to those moments so tightly because I know that's not what's happening anymore. You know, that's not my reality anymore. She's a toddler. And before I know it, she'll be a kid. So having just those moments, especially after a busy day where I'm like, I lost my patience. I was upset. Like, did I even sit and play with you today? Those moments of holding her when she's asleep. I know she knows I'm there. And those have been really the best moments because I I do believe, you know, even though she's sound asleep, our children can sense us. Even when I would walk into the room and she would poke up, I'm like, yes, I know. You can smell me. I don't know how, but you know. And I think it's important too, while our bed sharing and co-sleeping experiences have been really great, for the most part, I, I won't say that there hasn't been times where I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I've got to figure something out. Just because this works for us, this doesn't have to be everyone else's choice or story. We're not here to convince you that you should bed share, you should co-sleep, and this is the only way to do it. I don't think that's true. You know, people have to do what's best for them and what they feel is best for their child. I think that's important. I want people to know that I don't really care what you do. Um, I would never want to be judged on the decisions that I've made for my family, so I would never judge others for those decisions. And we're not advocating for bed sharing versus something else. We're advocating for educating yourself so that if you are bed sharing, you're doing it as safely as possible. Mm -hmm. Because I can't tell you, I mean, I was in the hospital, you know, gave birth, you go to all those pediatrician appointments right in the beginning. And it's always, oh, here's safe sleep. Here's this. It's always the ABC alone back crib. That's all I ever heard. I was like, okay, they have to sleep alone, which I'm like, I don't even sleep alone. I can't even sleep alone. But okay, this three day old baby who, you know, I just grew inside of me for nine months and who has listened to me and has only known this warmth in me. Yep. She should sleep alone no matter what in her crib. That didn't feel right to me. I said, I can't do that. And that just didn't work for us. It didn't work for her either. She made that very clear. So I think whatever parents choose to do, it should be a choice that they make. 
that fear mongering that we see, you know, I've seen it at the doctors, I've seen it on social media, and that goes both ways. I don't think somebody should be convinced to bed share because it worked for me. And I don't think somebody should be convinced to do cry it out because that's all they're seeing and that's all their doctor is telling them. I truly wish that medical professionals all around be a little bit more in tune to the fact that it's 2022 and people are doing things differently. And that doesn't just go for bed sharing either, because a lot of the times parents feel kind of some shame surrounding their sleep situation. And that's just, that's just not a vibe. (laughs) It's not a vibe. And we should definitely mention that in many cultures and for centuries, bed sharing is just the norm. It's not some groundbreaking, you know, psychologically, it's just sleeping in other, yeah, it's just sleeping. How privileged are we that I like even have a big enough house that my daughter can have her own room or that I can afford a crib? That's not the case for many people, even in the U.S. You know, if you only have one room, you're automatically co-sleeping. That's the other thing is that a lot of these programs that promote sleep training are extremely expensive. Not everyone has access Mm -hmm. to a second bedroom for their infant and or money to invest in these programs. When it comes to sleep training, I have known people and I've heard of people and even through our platform on Instagram, people reaching out and saying, I just started sleep training, but it really doesn't feel right. It's not working for me. That's kind of a big takeaway from this entire episode. And from what we're trying to do just as moms is inform other parents that there are other ways, that sleep training is not the only way to have a symbiotic relationship with your child through the nights and to get more sleep. That's not the only way to do this. Know that if it's something that you're doing or you did do and it really didn't work for you, you don't have to. I mean, those gut instincts are there for a reason. If it doesn't feel right, then it's not right for you and your family. There needs to be no explanation. That's it. Doesn't work. That's fine. You know, what works for one person doesn't work for someone else. I feel like there was a time right around seven months where sleep was just awful. And my husband was like, what do we do? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm doing this for the first time too. And he's like, do we just leave her to cry? And I remember there was like a silence for like, you know, a second, we both looked at each other and I was like, I can't do that. He's like, I can't do that either. And that was it. It never got brought up again. We realized it wasn't for us. And, you know, we've had people very close to us that have done that and we've been around for it. And it makes, you know, me uncomfortable because I knew it wasn't a decision for my family. I would never judge somebody for that. It's just not what works for me. And I've, you know, I've made it my goal from day one of becoming a mom that I'm going to listen to my instinct. You know, we're new moms, so you don't always know the right answer and you don't know what to do, but you do because it's inside of you. You have that instinct to go and make decisions. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough that I've had a sounding board, my husband, who's able to help me make these decisions. But, you know, I know for many people, you included Adriana, you've had to make all of these decisions on your own. In some ways, it's easier, right? Because I don't have to take a second party's opinion into account. Mike and I have agreed on 99% of parenting decisions. He has a few things, some of which I think are a little silly and some which I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense that are like absolutely deal breakers for him. He said, you know, I won't budge on that. And then I have some as well. One of my things was if we are bed sharing, I wanted him in the bed as well. I didn't like the idea of him sleeping in another room. And that was something that he never really considered. He was like, oh, like, yeah, I'm not leaving my bed. Like, I mean, there's definitely been times where he's working overnights or like a weird schedule really needs to get some sleep that he's slept in another room. But just for me personally, I wanted all of us, like I said before, that family unit. Once I had all of us together, I was like, no, this is what it always has to be because I just, I feel so good about it. 
And that's like a perfect example of how outside of safety, once again, and we're going to keep saying that, having the ability to make a decision for your family based on what's best for you is so great because some families I know do sleep in separate rooms when they're bed sharing with their child. I love that you and Mike came to the conclusion that that's not going to work for you guys. You want to all be in the same bed and that that is what worked for some time. He doesn't smoke, but if he was a smoker, then I'd be like, uh, get out. You know, I would always prioritize the safety of my child over him being in bed. You know, when I found the safe sleep seven, we were right off the bat automatically. I know you said the same as well. When we had reached out after Aiden was born, you're like, oh, I'm actually already kind of doing those. Like, I don't smoke. I, you know, I am sober. I am breastfeeding. Those things just naturally were a way of life. For us, the biggest thing, and for most people, I think is the sleep surface. One other thing that I wanted to quickly mention is that although bed sharing, there's not enough research to support that it is as safe for formula feeding moms to do as breastfeeding moms. Co-sleeping, however, is. Mm -hmm. So you can be a formula feeding mom and have baby in a bassinet next to you, be co-sleeping and it be safe. Mm Hey everyone, just wanted to take a quick break to talk about one of my favorite companies, Brightbox. Brightbox is the completely customizable Happy Mail. With just a few clicks right from your phone, you're able to let someone know you're thinking of them. The best part? Most boxes are under $20. Brightbox takes the guesswork out of sending the perfect gift and the hassle out of packing and shipping. Brightbox's passion about giving back, which is why they are teaming up with Roma Foundation to bring children and families hope, love, and lasting change by donating a brand new pair of rain boots. You can help give back too by sending Brightbox's sock box. For everyone ordered, a pair of rain boots will be donated. You're able to give back while also making a friend's day. And who doesn't love a new pair of cozy socks? I was actually just gifted a pair of Roma boots for Christmas and they've become my new go-to footwear, even on sunny days. Brightbox adds new boxes every Wednesday, so there is always something for everyone. To get sending happy mail today and for other ways to donate and support Roma Foundation, head on over to brightboxes.com and use CoSleeping3 for $3 off an add-on. That's CoSleeping3 at brightboxes.com. Happy shopping! The other thing I really wanted to talk about is the stigma and comfort levels with being honest about bed sharing. When Kennedy was about eight months old, the pediatrician had asked, like, how is she sleeping? And I just, my natural response was just to laugh. And she just kind of looked at me and was like, not good. I was like, I mean, we don't really sleep. And she was like, oh, let's talk about that. Like, that's a problem. We need to get you some sleep. And I remember thinking like, just from the research that I had done and the people that I were following on Instagram and friends and family who had kids, and I wanted to be like, no, she's sleeping. Like, this is normal. She's sleeping like a baby. You know, that's fine. And I said to her, I was like, oh yeah, you know, she sleeps in bed with us. And it was kind of like, oh, okay, well, you know, right away with some of the scare tactics and she handed me a thing and she recommended, she's like, oh, you know, at this age, she doesn't need to be waking overnight. You can try cry it out. There's a lot of methods. And I, you know, I let her say her piece. I wasn't rude. I didn't interrupt her. And I just said, oh, we won't be doing that. My husband and I decided this is working for us. She looked right at me and she said, I won't mention it again. And she never did. So even, you know, at her two, two and a half year appointment, she asked about like nap times and things. And I was like, oh yeah, we're still up this many times or she sleeps here. And she was like, oh great. Okay. Is that still working? And yep. So I think a lot of people aren't open and honest just in general to friends, family, pediatricians about bed sharing. I'm not saying, you know, I see patients at work and I'm like, do you want to know where my daughter sleeps in bed with me all night? I'm not saying that, but a lot of the times when people aren't open and honest about these things that we're doing, and that's just like anything, if people 
think that it's not happening. We think it's weird to be that one person that's doing something. Anything that's not mainstream somehow becomes villainized and weird and different. My experience with my pediatrician was not similar in that yours respected when you let her know that, hey, we're not doing that. And there wasn't a question asked and she took your lead. Mm-hmm. My pediatrician was extremely pushy. He was very pushy about where Aiden was sleeping, sleep training. There was a lot of commentary that I was just not comfortable with. And a lot of it was surrounding sleep. I know people have different comfort levels, but I just don't give a shit what people think about how I'm raising my son because I know what I'm doing to ensure his safety, how I feel as his mother, what makes me feel comfortable and what I'm seeing that do for him. I'm taking his lead and it's proved to never lead me astray. I'm doing research in the very little downtime that I have just to confirm that the things that I'm doing are rooted in some kind of fact. I'm confident in what I'm doing as a parent at this point that there's nothing that anyone can say that's going to make me feel shame. Shame is something that you feel if you already have uncomfortable feelings surrounding what it is that you're doing. Mm -hmm. So I can't feel shame about bed sharing if it's something that A, I treasure, B, I'm doing safely, and C, works for both my son and I. But I know not a lot of parents feel that way because like you just said, Amanda, it's not mainstream. It's not talked about a lot. And my pediatrician, this is a medical professional, was pushing sleep training on me from the time Aiden was three months old. So Yeah, it can be scary when you have someone with a medical degree sitting there and telling you what you should be doing when it comes to your child's sleep and having a narrative surrounding how it is that you may be hurting your child by not taking this advice. That's why Amanda and I both urge listeners to do your research, read up on whatever it is that's going to make you feel comfortable Trust your instincts first and foremost. If something feels wrong, you don't have to do it. It doesn't have to be what works for your family. Sleep training was never going to be the answer for me. I heard about it a lot. I know Amanda and I, yeah, we talked about this a lot. Like I heard everyone just kept talking about sleep training before I had Aiden. And I was like, yeah, that's what I'll do. Like that's what people do, right? That's what you're supposed to do. I don't think I knew what it was for the first six or seven months until we started really struggling with sleep. And I was like, I don't know. That's what people do. Are we going to do that? And it was that conversation I had with Mike. And I think a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. So I was actually gifted the Taking Care of Babies course by a couple of friends while I was pregnant. I watched it, the courses, and I was just like, no, I didn't know that's what this was. And and I don't want to do it. It was as simple as that. Mm -hmm. I don't judge them for having done it or it having worked for them and their families. It just wasn't for me. I just think that having information is helpful so that when you are faced with challenges or when the baby does come, you have all the information that you need to make the best decision. And I know we could talk literally all day on co-sleeping and just sleep in general. We put a question box on Instagram for what our followers wanted to hear in regards to co-sleeping. So I just, we have them written here. I want to ask some of the Q&A we got here. So this is one um, we were talking about a little bit before we started recording, but it says, I've been co-sleeping for three months. How do other moms stay comfy? Some neck and back pain having to stay in that cuddle curl position. So a big one is having pillow behind your back, kind of propped up against your mid-back is actually really helpful, or one between your legs. I've heard that that is a game changer for hips. And I actually did that while I was pregnant and it was a, it was a big help. So the pregnancy pillows, like those body pillows, yeah. if you keep that and kind of have that like curl around you. If you're short like me, it will go in your back and in between your legs. So I've done the in between the legs a lot before, just cause it is, it is hard to kind of stay comfortable in that position. And then as my daughter got older now, she actually moves away on her own. So it doesn't have to be a forever thing. Once they start rolling away on their own, I also will kind of scoot over a little bit and sleep on my back or however I'm comfortable. 
The next question that we saw a lot of was, can you feed to sleep and then sneak away and come back when you're ready to sleep yourself? Yes, absolutely. Of course, that is the only way um, I'm able to really get anything done. Of course, the bed again, has to be on the floor. That's the only way that it's safe to leave baby alone sleeping in the room and that the room is set up for safe sleep. So no cords, no pets. I know that's something we didn't mention before, but the pets cannot be in the room or sleeping in the bed. The dressers, things are anchored to the wall. That's what I've always done. I still do that now. That's how I put my daughter to sleep. I lay with her, I nurse her to sleep. I kind of wait depending on what kind of TikTok rabbit hole I fall down, sometimes 10 minutes, sometimes a half hour. And I just kind of unlatch her and sneak and roll away. I do the same thing for Aiden if I'm even in the mood to leave the bed. Honestly, he goes to bed super late. When he was sleeping a bit earlier, I definitely did the same exact thing. And then the next one here, this is one I've seen more times than I can count. How do you get intimate when co-sleeping and baby needing contact for naps? Amanda, I'll let you take it away because I haven't had sex in. (laughs) I know. I was reading that and I was like, hmm, what's Adriana's answer going to (laughs) be? Well, I mean, I could answer and I can talk a lot on it, but we are um, doing a whole episode on it because I do think it is worthy of needing its own episode just because there is a lot that goes into it. And it's a question that we see quite a bit. So we are actually recording this upcoming weekend, an episode all about postpartum intimacy to include co-sleeping. And we will have an expert joining us. So it's pretty exciting. And that will be released next month. The next question, and Amanda and I can actually both speak to this one. So it's pretty cool. And we see it a lot, actually, not just through this past weekend when we opened up questions, but this is something we see habitually is how do you safely co-sleep when vacationing? I mean, I just got back from vacation at 5 a.m. this morning. I mean, of course, now my daughter is three and a half. So she just slept in the bed with us and we were in Disney. So I was falling asleep every night at like 8.30. So she was safely with us. But a lot of hotels actually will have pack and plays that I've seen parents bring into the room and just co-sleep, have the baby in the room with them. I've also at times, like when my daughter was really young, we were in a hotel and my husband moved the bed kind of out of the way and he just pulled the mattress onto the floor. Similarly, I have taken a couple of overseas trips with my son and I plan to shortly actually. For me, safe sleep environment is just, it it has to be a part of my travel accommodations. Mm -hmm. So when I'm choosing where we're going to stay, whether it's an Airbnb or what have you, I always make sure that the room is a room in which I can create a safe sleep environment. Last year, we were in Bosnia for two months with my grandmother. She actually has a floor bed in one of her rooms in her apartment. So Aiden and I before I even went, made sure that we could take that room and that it was okay for us to stay there for that stay. So when I plan, you know, everyone has their standards for travel, things that are kind of deal breakers. For me, not having a safe sleep space is a deal breaker. So it's just a big part of the planning process. And I find too, like we travel a lot. We always stay with my in-laws. They've always been like, what do you need? I feel like most of the time when people are traveling with a child, or even when I've had people come visit here, I try to set up as a mom of a young child, I know some of the stuff, but also every child has their own need. You know, what's going to make this space the best for you? So I'll ask somebody like, hey, what do you need? And I mean, my sister did it when she was here. She was like, yeah, we're throwing this mattress on the floor. So I knew the next time they came to visit, we already, you know, already had it on the floor for them ready to go. The next one, oh, such a great one topic that we've talked so much about, but how do you address the haters? For me, it really depends on 
who the hater is. Mm -hmm. If it's like a really close family member, someone that's maybe older and isn't accustomed to bed sharing, it's someone that I actually care about. I respectfully set a boundary right away. Mm -hmm. That can look like one of many things. Whatever it is that you feel comfortable saying, usually I'm pretty clear and say something like, and I appreciate your opinion, but I've got this. Mm -hmm. For someone that I don't know, I would have no problem being more forthright than that and not really opening the floor for any kind of a discussion. In Amanda and I's episode about setting boundaries in general, one thing I hope that moms can always rely on as an answer is that you don't need to explain your parenting choices to anyone or feel like you need to justify what it is that you're doing if it works for your family. Because everybody asks about sleep. I agree with that. I think if it's somebody that I'm really close with, then my response usually is a little bit different. Sometimes too, I just like, I don't care to have the conversation. I don't have the energy and I'll just kind of smile and nod knowing if it's a family member, I probably don't see them a whole lot. You know, I see them a couple times a year. They don't know what's going on in my bedroom. I had a friend, he's a bit older and I was leaving, you know, their house to go put Kennedy down. I said something about like, you know, she won't fall asleep for my, how she's in bed, whatever. And he was like, she still sleeps in bed with you. And I was like, yeah, and just kind of looked at him. And he was, I was like, I don't know. That's just a weird thing to be like, I don't know. I wouldn't even bat an eye if somebody said something. I'd be like, oh, okay, cool. But he was like, oh, like she's going to want to sleep with you forever. And I was like, oh, yeah, like we're going to you know, have to request a queen bed at college. I hope she stays local. And he just kind of looked at me and I was like, shut up. And I walked away. But I'll either say that or I've also said like, oh, I hope she does. Like she's going to sleep with you forever. I hope so. I slept with my mom all the time. I'm now 30 and I'm not still needing to sleep in bed with my mom. All bed sharing babies are going to sleep on their own in their own space. I don't feel the need to rush it. I just feel like I wish more people were able to have those types of conversations. You know, you and I, we were on the same page, but even if you're not on the same page with somebody, it'd be nice to have a respectful conversation about like, oh, you did that. Tell me about that. Why did you make that decision? This is what I did. This worked for our family. We felt that this was best. People want to have an opinion on things that they shouldn't have an opinion on. So I've tried to be better with not giving those types of people my energy just because really, you know, if you're not sleeping in the bed, paying my bills, I don't think you can have much of a say. If someone else has a problem with your bed sharing or co-sleeping, that's their discomfort. Mm -hmm. That's their level of issue that they have with it. That's something that's living in their body. It doesn't have to live in yours. Mm -hmm. I actually had a patient who, you know, had a young child and we were talking and I yawned and he was like, oh, you must be a mom. And Kennedy was under a year and I was like, oh yeah, you know, I have an infant. And he was like, oh, so you must not be getting much sleep. He didn't say, how are you sleeping? He said, you must not be getting much sleep. And I was like, oh, this dad knows. And I was like, yeah, not real. And he was like, just put her in bed with her. That's the only way we ever got sleep with him. But Mm -hmm. I said to him, I was like, you know, it's really nice to hear that because, you know, I haven't heard that. It's always been, oh, just leave her to cry. Like, she'll figure it out. Like, she's going to have to learn. You know, you need this time or, you know, whatever. It was really nice that he was like, no, no, no. That's the only way you're going to get sleep. Why are you not doing that? And it was just nice to share that moment of like, yeah, I see you. And, you know, even when Kennedy had a short stay in the NICU when she was three months old, they have to sleep, you know, in a crib in there. And every night when she would wake up multiple times a night, I was taking her out and nursing her. And like every hour that nurse woke me up and she's like, you need to put her back in the crib. You fell asleep with her. And I told her, I was like, if you just gave me somewhere to sleep with her, like this whole situation would be eliminated here. Like it's, that's pushed on us right there. That's why it's not seen as normal or day to day, because look at the hospital setups. There's the bassinet. There's the mom's bed. There's no other option. There's no other choice until you're in your own space in your own home. The next one is, can you move backwards? Baby sleeps in bassinet, but I'd like to bring her into bed. 
completely understand where they're coming from and why they worded it the way that they did. Mm -hmm. But it's not moving backwards. I think that the reason this person might have felt like it's moving backwards is because societally and just the norm is that moving forward means fostering independence right away. And fostering independence comes from dependence, actually, from being able to depend on your caregiver. That's when children actually start to blossom and flourish as they grow. Mm -hmm. So it's not moving backwards if you decide you know what, my baby's in the bassinet, but they're not happy. I'm not happy. I'm going to bring them into bed. I just wanted to reframe that. I completely understand the question and why this mom felt that way, but it's never moving backwards if you're making a decision that's preserving your relationship with your child or doing something that works for you. As you were just reading that, I was, you know, thinking to myself, that's what I did. You know, she was in the bassinet. She outgrew the bassinet. What we felt was next, what we had planned next being the pack and play, that didn't work. So we brought her into bed with us. And I've never, you know, looked back and thought of it as moving backwards because it's just what felt right in the moment. The answer to that question, absolutely, you can bring her into your bed. And you can do that whenever it feels right for you and baby. And the next question is what age to stop co-sleeping? Well, I mean, before college, I guess, unless like for us, we had said like, oh, Kennedy will stay in our room for the first year. So that was kind of what we had set out before she was even here, because that's just what I heard. That's what seemed normal. But she's, you know, now three and a half and we still partly bed share. So I quickly threw what I, you know, the shoulds, I should be doing this or this has to happen out the window. I mean, like we say, again, the whole theme of this episode, really just following your baby's lead or your child's lead to see what's going to work best for them. If it's continuing to work for you and your family, you're happy, your child's happy, then it can be two, it can be six, it can be 10. And this is the next question. Can you discuss signs that baby is ready for a crib? We never use the crib, but for the bed, for me, I didn't want to move her into a crib And then like six months later, move her into a bed. So I just waited until I felt like she was ready for, you know, the big girl bed, which is just a queen size bed. And I did a queen size because I knew we were going to end up in there most nights. And I'm very happy we did that. She was talking about it. You know, one of her friends has a big girl room and her cousins, you know, she was like, did you see, you know, that cool dinosaur room? Like that would be really cool to have. And she was like, I think I would do unicorns. And I was like, oh, is that that what you want to do? We can do that. And we have the room upstairs. It was empty. So I stored a lot of her toys in there. So when I you know, was showering or getting ready, she would be in there playing with her toys. And we always referred to it as her room. We just talked about it. And we did a lot of just like if you wanted to transition baby to the crib, doing a lot of happy playtime in there with toys, you know, not making it a scary thing. We spent a lot of time in there. And even the first night when we went into her big girl room, we just kind of did the normal bedtime routine and then laid in her bed. And if at any moment she was like, I don't want to sleep in here, I want to go in your room okay, cool. That's what we're doing. You know, she was old enough that she was able to vocalize what she wanted. And I think that made the transition a hundred times easier. I love that you take Kennedy's lead because I do the same with Aiden. And honestly, I don't have an answer for how long I would sleep with Aiden. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm taking his lead because it is also working for me. We'll feel it out as we go. We'll see where this journey takes us. I'm so enjoying every stage so far for different reasons. And he is 17 months now. I can't believe it. And we're still bed sharing happily. Yeah. I haven't even really thought about when we won't. Yeah. I don't even really want to think about when we won't. So I don't know. I thought like, oh, maybe when she's done nursing, maybe when she's done waking up throughout the night, maybe, you know, if we have another baby and I need to be bed sharing and nursing that baby all night, like Mike would have to then take on some type of role sleeping with Kennedy if that's still what she needed. There's never really been a conversation. Uh, It's just kind of going with the flow. You know, if she can make some decisions for me and make things a little bit easier, you know, why not? 
we should definitely touch upon the fact that some people are bed sharing and don't want to anymore. Yes. And there are definitely resources and accounts and sleep experts that can safely and gently and with so much compassion guide you on how to make the transitions Mm -hmm. slowly over the course of time with plenty of resources and tips and information on how to get baby to sleep a little bit better on their own for at least some chunk of time or in their own space. So that's definitely an option. You know, we're over here talking about how much we love it and cherish these moments and don't want to stop. But some people have been bed sharing for a year or mm-hmm. two and don't want to anymore. Or with multiple um, kids, six, seven years. I can, that sounds exhausting. Right. Like that's okay. Right. If you're like, no, I'm done. I did way more than I ever set out to or planned to. I enjoyed the time. And I never wanted to get like on that same note, you never wanted to turn negative. Like if you're enjoying it, that's how I've always felt about breastfeeding too. Like getting to a point where it's no longer enjoyable. Like I could see why people would want to end, you know, the bed sharing relationship and have them move into their own space. I like how you mentioned that there's a lot of great experts out there because we're the expert on our baby. So moms and dads who are listening, you're the expert on your baby and their sleep. But if you need something that's a little bit more comprehensive and just sleep in general or for the recommendations and safety and things of that sort, I know you have some that you love, but some of the ones that I've followed and that I've learned a lot from has, of course, been James McKenna. I think he's kind of the standard when it comes to safe sleep. You can't do an episode on co-sleeping and not mention James. McKenna. And then another one um, for me on Instagram is at official sleeping beauties. That's Kayla. She was one of our first followers actually on Instagram. And I've just loved watching her platform grow. I've learned so much from her. She talks a lot about the benefits of bed sharing and really normalizing and getting the information on, you know, safely bed sharing out there. And of course, if you're listening to us, I'm sure, I'm sure you've heard of Taylor Kulik on Instagram as well. So she's another one that's really just out there and kind of just saying what she wants when it comes to bed sharing. And I love that. She's on a mission to let moms and dads know that this is not only normal, but there's a way to do it safely. For myself, I started following Hey Sleepy Baby on Instagram. Rachel, she's she's a godsend. She's absolutely incredible. She has so much information on just her Instagram page alone. If you don't even tap into her resources that you can pay for, which are also wonderful, she has a lot of great content on her page. And she's actually how I learned about infant sleep norms and toddler sleep norms when I became a parent, when Aiden was born and I had no idea what was happening. That's actually where I learned all about what's normal for our babies. And that really changed my perspective on what my journey with Aiden and sleep would look like. So she is amazing and I can't say enough good about her, as is CoSleepy. CoSleepy is another wonderful resource. She has really helpful diagrams, tips, practical, scientifically backed advice on how to safely bed share or room share with your baby. She shares a lot of videos and like I said, diagrams and whatnot. So you can actually get that visual to make sure that you're doing things safely. So those are two more accounts that I would highly recommend if you're looking to learn about infant sleep norms, if you're looking to make sure that you're doing things properly and safely, if you're looking to be a part of a like-minded community, or if you're looking to transition baby to a different space in a loving way. 
I love the visuals too, because sometimes like I'm such, that's how I learn by doing. So sometimes I need to see, because if not, you know, you can explain these things all day, but without actually seeing it, sometimes it's really hard to picture what a safe sleep setup looks like. So I really appreciate all those visuals over on CoSleepy's page. But I know we could talk about co-sleeping and bed sharing forever because obviously it's our bread and butter. I wanted to end the episode saying, you know, we're here really to, I've said from the beginning, a mission to normalize co-sleeping. So if you're feeling alone that you're the only one who's bed sharing, you're the only one that is still waking up four or five times a night with a three-year-old, you're, you know, the only one still, you know, nursing and you're feeling shame and this fear mongering from medical professionals or even, you know, your close community of friends and family. I just want our listeners to know that that's why we're here. That's what this platform is all about. Helping moms feel less alone in their journeys, whether it be new parenthood or co-sleeping, bed sharing, whatever you're tackling right now, we're going through it and we're talking about it with you guys.